When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Her Hoop Stats. Hi there. Welcome in to the Her Hoop Stats podcast. John Little here with you, your host. It's good to have you with us for another week. And, oh man, what a day. What a day it's been. Um, I, I normally back off till Sunday to record intros and outros to the podcast just in case something happens. But you never expect anything like today's events with Kobe Bryant um, passing away from all of us at the Her Hoop Stats, you know, network, whatever you want to call us, at the site, anybody that works on it. I know our hearts go out to Kobe. Um, we remember him. We remember his legacy. We remember Gigi. And we are broken up over losing her. And we remember everybody else that was on that helicopter. Um, reportedly nine on that helicopter in total, including... Orange Coast college baseball coach John Altabelli, who um, was there with his daughter, who was one of Gigi's teammates, we understand. His wife, as well, was on that uh, helicopter that went down. And every other soul that was lost today. I mean, we just, we grieve with you. And it was just a, a rough day. And Listen, I'm not an even even a big Kobe fan. Um, I'm a Dallas Mavericks fan, and I look at it through those goggles. I mean, he was uh, impossible to get past in the Western Conference um, when he was in his prime and gave the, the Mavs just fits. I, I wasn't a, a Lakers fan. I wasn't a Kobe fan. I can't imagine if you're one of those two things, how you're feeling today, but it hit me hard. And, and the reason that it hit me hard... Um, 
you know, obviously I've got a great deal of respect for who Kobe was as a player and I how hard he worked. His work ethic was absolutely unmatched. Um, we lost someone who had a lot of great work to do. I think that's absolutely the case. And um, obviously there's some controversial things in his past that will get brought up. Not going to talk about it here. Sorry. Um, but uh, but I, I grieve because we lost that guy. But then in addition to that, I grieve because I see, you know, a, a guy that has a lot of daughters. I've got three daughters. And it has become so important to me. Um, almost as I as I stacked up daughters, you know, uh, had nothing to do with it, but you know, just <laughs> started to uh, accumulate daughters, which I love. I had four sisters growing up, and um, I, I've 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 never looked back, and I've never said, "Man, you know, I wish I had a a boy." And I, I think Kobe was the same way, and it was evident in the way that he treated Gigi, and it was evident in the way that he treated his other daughters. And when he was asked about it, you want somebody that can carry on your legacy? No, I got, I got wonderful girls here. What are you talking about? I don't need a boy to make that happen. That's exactly how I feel. And, um, and so I see a lot of myself in that. I respect Kobe a lot for that. And I think that he was in many ways, a champion for the women's game. And I heard Shanae Agumike talking about that today on ESPN and um, really extolling how much he supported the WNBA. And there might not have been an NBA player or former NBA player that lifted up the WNBA more or was more impactful than Kobe Bryant. Also, she talked about one of the things she said was, you know, for our generation, and she's a little younger than me. I'm 37. I'm not sure what Shanae is, probably about 27 or something like that. Um, she said for our generation, it was Kobe and it was LeBron. Um, you know, we went back and forth uh, trying to figure out who was better there. And I hadn't even thought about that. You know, I kind of thought about, uh, I think about my generation and we we're uh, Michael Jordan all the way. So, um <sighs> That's how weighty this loss is uh, for this generation. And it was obviously so surprising today. It was, it was good to see. And Shanae was so well-spoken uh, when she was on ESPN um, today. One of the things that really hit me today was the, the first, one of the first things I thought of was just last week, the women's basketball community, some of the women's basketball community was... <sighs> I don't want to say tearing into, but shaking their head and saying against Kobe Bryant for uh, that interview that he did with CNN, where he talked about um, the women in the WNBA that could play uh, with the guys in the NBA. And he threw out three names there and some people kind of laid into him. Like, what is he thinking? That's not the kind of positive discussion that we need to have around women's basketball. It's not about whether the girls can play with the guys. It's about uh, women's basketball as a, a product in and of itself that is worthy of your time and attention. And while I completely agree with that fact, you know me, I'm 100% in that camp and that corner. Kobe Bryant 
did not mean anything negative by what he said there. He was trying to lift up the women's game the best way he knew how, off the cuff, based on a question that was asked of him. And that's an incredibly hard position to be in, to immediately have the response of, oh gosh, what does the women's basketball community want me to say here? What, what do I need to say in order to, to make sure that I say the exact right thing? It's incredibly difficult at that time. So he did the best he could to lift up the women's basketball community at that moment. And, and Twitter tore into him for it, some of Twitter. And now the guy's dead a week later. He's dead. What really matters here? What really matters? Does it matter that we need to tear somebody down every time they say something that we don't agree with? No. I know you hugged your loved ones a lot tighter this week. Or will hug them a lot tighter this week and and probably hug them tighter today. I know I did. Gave my kids a hug every single time I could today. I gave my wife and I were in a little bit of a fight and I stepped up and gave her a hug and I just didn't even have any words to go with it, but I just wanted to be close to her. And I hope it's the same for you. And I hope in the same way, maybe we're not giving people hugs on Twitter, virtual hugs. I did see, by the way, Kendrick Perkins try to heal things with Kevin Durant today, which I thought was honestly kind of really inspiring uh, with some of the Twitter tiffs they've had lately. But why can't we look for the best in people? If they're not living up to our ideal, why do we have to tear them down and say, my gosh, you've disappointed me with when he's trying to do the right thing in, in the best way that he knows how. He's trying to do the right thing. He is trying to lift up the women's game. He is not a chauvinist. He is not um, somebody who says women's basketball is boring to watch or anything like that. He's very much in the camp of women's basketball, and yet we're tearing down the way he said something. And now here a week later, don't you wish, don't you wish that you would have said it in a little different way? You would have said, you know what, that's really nice. That's good of Kobe to do that. Kobe, again, stepping up and defending defending the women's game, whatever you want to say, being a champion for the women's game. Maybe it's not exactly like you want. I understand. But he's trying. And there are a lot of people out there that are trying. And not just in this discussion, but in other discussions. Let's be easier on our fellow humans, on Twitter, on Facebook, um, face-to-face as well this week. Then the final thing I had that was a lot lighter is uh, about the just the name Kobe. You remember when Kobe came into the league? It was 1996. I was, which that's that's amazing, by the way. 1996. <laughs> it's a long time ago, and I was uh, in uh, a young high school, like sophomore in high school, and I really hadn't ever heard the name Kobe. Maybe you had. Um, but that was not a very popular name that I knew of. I didn't know many Kobe's. Maybe you did. Um, but then all of a sudden, now we jump forward twenty, almost twenty-five years later. We know a lot of Kobe's, and we've seen probably hundreds of thousands of kids named Kobe in this nation just based on what he did. That's the kind of impact that this guy had. So. Um, a lot to think about today. Sorry to start with kind of a slow-paced 
plodding through my thoughts on all this stuff, but um, it's just a few things that I wanted to get off my chest about Kobe Bryant and, um, you know, just kind of think about um, on this sad, sad day for basketball, for the sports world, for the world in general, and um, just more than anything, I think that anybody that's affected by this, whether it be the, the Bryant family, uh, any of the families affected, we'll just say hug your family members. Hug your family members today. Do it. Do it now. Do it now. Um, I think that's what they would want you to hear, you know, because we never, ever know. We just never, ever know. So that's the stuff on Kobe today. And um, it's kind of tough to transition out of that, but I'm going to try to. Charlie Turner Thorne is our guest this week, the longtime head coach of the Arizona State Sun Devils. And it's kind of funny. I mean, Kobe Bryant came into the league in 1996, and that's when uh, Coach Turner Thorne started her career as the head coach of Arizona State back in the day. So some synergy there. As a D1 basketball coach, she is approaching 500 wins. She's going to get it very, very soon. She didn't end up getting it uh, against Arizona in another hotly contested game between those two. And we'll talk about that rivalry coming up. Um, But she's going to get it. She's at 499. So she might get it against USC coming up on Friday at the end of this week. We'll see. But this is one of those conversations where I was just like at the end, uh, I want to talk to her again. And I want to do it as soon as possible. There's so much more to ask. Um, she is such a good spirit, such a good soul, and I think you're really going to enjoy this chat as her team was on the bus headed from Tempe down to Tucson to take on arch-rival Arizona. So here's our chat with Arizona State head coach Charlie Turner Thorne. My pleasure, John. Good to be here. Absolutely. You are on the verge of 500 wins. Um, You're going to cross it at some point, whether it be uh, against Arizona or another time along the way. Do numbers like that, when you think about half a thousand, what does that mean to you? You know, I don't really think about it, to be honest. Uh, But when... I guess you're an old coach like me and you hit a milestone. I mean, you really just think about, um, cause it's not me, right. It's all the players and all the coaches, the staff, everybody that, you know, works tirelessly every day to, to help, uh, you know, to help these young women win games. So that's kind of a fun thing, you know, cause when we hit a milestone with our program and, you know, you just kind of celebrate all the, the players and the coaches and the people that have, have helped along the way. And that's, that's fun. Absolutely it is. And it gives you a little extra attention during that time, which like you're saying, I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. You don't, uh, you, 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 you'll give that back if, uh, if uh, all things are equal, but at the same time, your team has been getting a lot of attention here lately in, in a loaded PAC 12 um, that, that weekend where you beat Oregon and you beat Oregon state in, in back-to-back games. Um, I don't do you think it was obviously it's good for your program you want those wins but all of a sudden you've got this attention and you're ranked and maybe a little bit of a target on your back what has that weekend done for your team to kind of jumpstart things well I mean we're used to having a target on our back and we're used to having a number by our name John and you know the, the truth of this season is you know we started with a number by our name but we were very young and we were injured and we you know we didn't have our start you know one of our top senior posts for the pretty much the entire preseason. Um, and 
we, you know, and Robbie Ryan, one of our top players wasn't healthy and, and we only had really two players had significant playing time in a Sun Devil uniform and our, in our, on our roster, you know, we graduated 85% of our scoring and rebounding from the previous year in our start, our starting front line. So, you know, lots to just grow and transform. And so, you know, to be honest, I think our older players are, are very used to being the team to beat. Um, but that weekend, I will say, was amazing. And it was unprecedented for, um, you know, most programs in the country, right, to beat the number two and three teams back to back, you know, really hadn't been done before. So um, it was super special. Um, and I could not be more proud of this team and, you know, from where they started into where they are right now, you know, a lot of season left John. So we're, you know, we're, we're going to keep our heads down and obviously, you know, we want, we're not done and we want to keep getting better, but I think, you know, we're, we're, it's been quite a while for ASU women's basketball since we've been kind of an underdog, you know, we're used to kind of having that target on our back. So, you know, that's, I mean, the young kids, they learn it pretty quick, but our, our, our seniors, um, and even our sophomores from last year, even though they didn't get to play a lot, I mean, they, they saw, you know, the way we, we got everybody's A game. And uh, I think even when we were kind of still struggling and coming along, you know, everybody was kind of licking their chops going, oh, we can get ASU. <laughs> At least that's what I felt. And, uh, you know, to our credit, we just kind of kept working and, you know, improving and, you know, getting to where we knew we could be. It sounds like you're saying that your team has – not only responded positively and won those games, but they've responded positively to winning those games. That their that their work ethic after the fact that it that it hasn't wavered. That that's kind of something you're uh, you're you're referring there to as well. They've they've been consistent throughout it. You know what they really have. I mean, it was draining to do that, so we kind of had to recharge our batteries. But you know, for a younger team, I think it was very you know um, it, you know it was val- it really validated. Them. you know they, they you know they I think they knew they could be really good but that was you know only that's only motivated us to come together more you know be more I think um driven you know if you will um to you know keep working hard and win games well what does it say about the Pac-12 like you said I mean you know you've been there for uh, forever now and over 440 wins now at ASU but at the same time, what does it say about just the depth of the uh, the, the Pac-12 that maybe for a week or two you guys got forgotten about as a top contender in the league this year? <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, if there's a better conference, I'll 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 I'll, I'll go toe to toe and debate that with anybody in the country, John. Um, you know, it's. I've been obviously coaching in this conference for 23 years, and then I was at Washington for two years and a player for four years, so. Um, I don't know, Mr. Analytics, do the math. That's a lot of years, but <laughs> about, and it's, it's never been this strong. And, you know, we always, I mean, you know, Tara and I, yeah, there's no easy games and stuff, but at the same time, I think like the one through 12 is good, but like the top half is great, you know, like great, great. And that's, that's definitely something that's, I think maybe, maybe, you know, stronger than it's ever been in the history of the conference. So um, makes for every every week a fun and, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, obviously intense uh, preparation and, and challenging. And, uh, you know, I just I really, really hope that um, 
And I do expect our, our conference to get credit for beating each other, you know, and beating up on each other um, because, you know, I feel like we, you know, for the most part had good preseasons and, you know, people really have recognized how good, um, you know, our teams are. Well, it better, and uh, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but I'm really looking forward to seeing how seating <laughs> comes out in March, and you know just how that all works. And Aren't you trying though? To, I mean, the trying to separate people. I yeah, know. it's going to be. You know, we thought the men's side was challenging, and now we're we're right behind them with that. You know, people beating people, and I will. I have to say something controversial. No, I probably shouldn't. Uh, I should, huh? Should we spice up this podcast? Oh, absolutely. I just, okay, uh, let's, y- do it. let's do it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if the polls were more accurate, there might not be so much perceived, um, like, upsets. <laughs> that <laughs> I makes just sense. Think, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I'll, I'll say that. I don't think. And, I mean, when I was president of the WBCA, I was actually on my sabbatical, my EMA sabbatical, whole other podcast. Um and I had to write a letter to the coaches that were voting because it was so bad. Like either they were just completely voting their self-interest or they didn't care because it was just bad. They weren't paying attention. You know, they weren't good. And I don't feel like that was, I mean, gosh, eight or nine years ago. And I just feel like it's gotten progressively worse um, with, and I know it's hard. There is great parody. It is fantastic. It is hard. But I mean, some of it is not that hard. You know, there's teams that haven't played anybody or really haven't proven themselves and they're and other teams that have. And if anybody I think is really, really paying attention, then, you know, I think it would be a little bit better. Um, you might be interested to know my my son is like Mr. Basketball Analytics. And um, when I met Aaron at Mock Bracketing, I actually brought his his uh, all his uh, his uh, analytics to the committee. <laughs> <laughs> to look over about how flawed the RPI formula is and, and, you know, all these examples and his, his, uh, uh, rationale and stuff for why we should not be using the RPI for NCAA selection. And, um, um, I know that, you know, we kind of have to right now we're working on, you know, I mean, the NCAA does an amazing job of what they do and, you know, they're, they're looking at it and they're, you know, we'll see if we move more towards the men's or whatever, but, um, you know, it's just, it's just, uh, um, you know, our game keeps getting better. You know, the coverage, everything is getting better. We need everything to keep up with that. Right, John? Uh, there's no doubt about that. And I, I think about, and not going to release this podcast till Monday, so till after the game, but, you know, we're anticipating just a gigantic turnout uh, down in Tucson uh, for your game with the Wildcats tomorrow. How good is it for your program specifically to have Arizona be so good right now and have a a generational player? I mean, just as far as just, you know, keeping that rivalry up. I I love, well, it's, no, I mean, as soon as Adia got the job, I said, you know, and she's, she was a great player in our conference. um, And she's just a, classy person like she you know i mean as a player i remember like when we got better and we beat them and she's like man great job charlie like like i was just so impressed with that from a young person you know and maybe it was after she graduated i don't know but she was just you know like when we were still building our program and you know she had gone through that program but i was just i just said listen anything i can do for you let me know because we need you to be we need you to be good you know i play them twice we have 16 plus other games it's brutal when you're 
when your travel partner is not strong. I mean, I can't tell you how many games Stanford, Oregon State rested their top players when they played down there. I mean, and, you know, they don't really, they didn't really have to prepare for them because they just were not very good, unfortunately. So it is a huge advantage for us. It's hugely beneficial that U of A has improved so much and Adia has done such a great job down there. I mean, it's phenomenal. And, you know, like, not happy that we didn't beat them the first time and what, but, you know, whatever. It's, they're making, we make each other better. But it is so incredible that people, whether they play us on the home, at home or on the road, they got to bring it two games and they can't look past U of A anymore. You know, they can't prepare for us for the whole weekend. So it's, um, thank you for that question because I love talking about it because it's, it's huge. <laughs> it has helped us, you know, um, you know, it helped us last year because they were much improved last year and, and this year it's even better. What a terrific point. And I hadn't even thought about the travel partner aspect of it. So thanks for giving us that added benefit of hearing about that. But, you know, your teams are always um, so competitive and so good just because of the way uh, you can you can grind out games. Your, your team is obviously incredible defensively. You're uh, a um, uh, top, uh, whatever you want to say, five or six offensive rebounding team in the country on several different metrics. Let's talk about those just hard-nosed parts of your team. How does that help you as a season goes on? Just have that baseline of consistency where, yeah, you've got to um, you know, navigate things game to game and, and game plan about things, but you know that you are going to get those offensive boards and you know that, that your team is not going to get gashed uh, on the uh, defensive side. Well, I mean, obviously, basketball is a game of possessions, right, John? And so, I mean, you know, rebounding – I mean, that's a huge stat for the top teams in the country, and it separates us. So we always have a huge emphasis on it. And, you know, ironically, we were terrible to start the year. <laughs> we were like, I'm like, you guys, I think you're the worst rebounding team I've ever had. Or, you know, we were just not there, and we worked on it and worked on it. And so, you know, I, I, I think we need to get our shooting percentages up so we don't put so much pressure on ourselves to, you know. But, but that's always a definitely a defining characteristic of top teams, you know, because – how do you get a great shooting percentage? You get second shots. You get easy, easy putbacks. And, and uh, you know, the other part is, yeah, our defense. And, you know, if we can get steals and turn people over and get some easy transition, you know, that's kind of defined this team a little bit more. Like last year, we were much more deliberate, much more of a half-court team. And we could kind of morph ourselves. And, and this year, you know, we're just, you know, faster and we can get out and um, we're deeper um, and, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate those comments about our program. I mean, I think one thing, regardless of our personnel from year, year, year to year, it's our culture. You know, we have a culture of, you know, just great togetherness and great toughness. And we cultivate it year round. And, you know, we know if that is intact, that we're going to be a winning program. You know, we're going to win our share of games. And, you know, clearly you can look at some stat sheets you know, all you know, you look at the analytics all you want, and you look at them for Oregon, and go, there's no way Arizona State won that game. <laughs> but you know, it doesn't just doesn't factor in. You know, some of the intangibles of, you know, our toughness and and ability to kind of find a way to get the job done. So you know, we do um, very much pride ourselves on on that, and and we would like to be more efficient offensively. And you know, we've gotten like Robbie just man had a beautiful game on Sunday. 
just really had her jump shot going and, and Tapley keeps coming along. So, you know, hopefully we can kind of keep evolving with our offensive efficiency. But I, you know, I think any coach would tell you, you know, just hard nose rebounding and defense is usually going to keep you, keep you in games, you know, give you a chance. Well, maybe we need to come up with a big shot metric or something like that. Cause <laughs> there I, you go. <laughs> I know against Oregon, you know, going five of six from three in the uh, in the fourth quarter that uh, that really right. helps things for sure. But well, eight for fourteen for the game. I wish I could just you know bottle that up, right, John. Heck yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, you talk about your deliberate pace, how you're a little bit more open this season. Um, tell me about your philosophy of pace, because sometimes, you know, slower pace teams can, I don't know, get attacked, you know, from, hey, we want to get as many possessions as possible. You, we need to play fast. I, I know talking to Kelly Graves, he was he was like, no, we don't play fast. We're just really, really efficient. We're scoring a lot because we're really, really efficient here. So where are you on that on that pace scale, the deliberate pace versus the versus the the, the fast pace people? And, and how did you um gather your philosophies about how quickly your team should play? Um, yeah, that's a fun question. You know, I, you really have to adapt to your team. I, I, you know, when I recruit kids into ASU, you know, say, well, coach, you know, what's your offensive, you know, you know, what do you guys do offensively? And I'm like, we're not the program that like, we're going to run triangle. We're going to run motion. We're going to teach you how to play basketball. We're going to teach you how to read and play with the ball in your hands without, you know, not in your hands and, and, you know, develop you, and then we're going to see what we have. So, you know, last year we didn't have depth and we didn't have great speed, so we were more deliberate. Um, you know, this year we have speed, you know, and we have depth, and we try to call ourselves the Cheetah Girls and run a lot. <laughs> it doesn't always happen, but I think, you know, I think, you know, I think as a coach, hopefully, you know, hopefully you evaluate and adjust and you adapt to your team and you're not married to one system, John, you know, like we've got to run no matter what, you know, I think as a young coach, I was a little bit more like that. This is what we do. Um, as I've evolved, you know, and gotten older, I've really learned how to adapt more to my team. Many, many a season I've gone into the season thinking we were going to be one thing and we weren't. And so I didn't try to force it. We just kind of, you know, morphed into what we were meant to be or what fit, fit us better. And, um, you know, I think, that would that's probably happened more often than you would think. Um, I do like I like a fast pace, but the, our season is so long. You know, we'll always say our, our primary offense is our transition offense, and we will try to beat people down the floor. I mean, when you play in a conference like the Pac-12, once people set their defense, it's hard to score. You know, if you can strike quick, you want to. Is that fun to watch? Yes. Um, but when you play at this level with teams this good. You know, and like a team like Oregon, Oregon State, who know that they are so efficient, they can get back on defense because they don't even have to rebound. But with one or two people, it's hard to get transition. So you have to be good at both, you know, and, and you just look at the final four. I mean, in, in, in men's and women's basketball goes over every major holiday, John. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's a really, really long season. And so people just wear down, you know, and I don't know if we've had a team it's gone through an entire, you know, seven month season and showed up at the final four and they're getting very many points in transition. I just can't even remember that ever, you know, because everybody wears down, slows down. The defense is so much better. So no matter what your philosophy and how much you want to run, you better be good in the quarter court. If you want to be a team that's playing deep into March, that's, I guess my two cents. 
Hey, that's great stuff. Uh, you know, and, and every game takes different shapes even during the game. I was thinking about this watching a game yesterday where I was watching a team that obviously really wanted to speed the other one up and they were trapping in the backcourt and all that stuff, and it didn't last the whole game. They can't make it last the whole game. There are, there are fits, there are starts, they get in foul trouble, all that. Uh, you know, it, it, you've, you've got to adjust as a good coach to even down to the individual game or the individual possession by possession, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, if tired, it's like you may not have had much transition all game, but maybe, you know, I know like Riley Richardson, the fourth quarter of the Oregon game. I mean, she really put, had some great pushes where we got some threw some fouls and did some things and, you know, wasn't systematic the whole game like we kind of want it to be. But when you train to be that kind of team, you can at least, like you said, turn it on, you know, here and there. And, and uh, it's, you know, very advantageous, no doubt. Well, it's a lot of fun to watch uh, great coaches go at it for sure, and we see a lot of that in the Pac-12. And as you go on throughout the season, you know, obviously the end goal for, for everybody out there is to go as deep as you can in March and into April. Um, what have you learned over the course of your career about what it takes to sustain once you get into that field of 64 and you know, just last one more game and one more game and one more game and, you know, eventually get to New Orleans? Um, wow. I don't know how much time we, I mean, hopefully I've learned a lot. You know, we've, I think we have, you know, we've been in postseason about 19 of the last 20 years and most of those were NCAA appearances. A couple of them weren't. Um, so I feel like I do have a pretty good feel, you know, when we get there, you do shift gears, you know, and, and it is an experience thing where you know what to do with that window between your conference tournament and the NCAA tournament, you know, and you kind of know your team because you get kind of like a little boot camp mini season of how you can kind of, you know, either, you know, tweak things, you know, just get back to the basics. You know, there's a lot of different approaches. Every year it's a little bit different with what I do with my team. I mean, we always get extra rest, which is nice. But I think the fun thing about the NCAA tournament, John, is, you know, you've been beating the crud out of each other through the Pac-12 and everybody knows each other inside and out, right? Playing two and three times. So this, the absolute joy in the, the NCAA tournament is people don't know you, <laughs> you know, and for us, it's a huge advantage because of our style of defense. If you haven't really played against us, usually we're, we're kind of tough to prepare for and you can't really simulate it like by by just watching it you know it helps you to have gone through it so um but you know i think um making it fun not squeezing too tight is huge because it's you know it's win or go home so you need that healthy balance of really having that team have a great sense of urgency but also you know just enjoying it and you know showing up and and you know just loving the moment and and you know lifting their their game and not you know, not kind of buckling under the pressure, if you will. Um, so I feel like, you know, we have a good feel for kind of getting, you know, hopefully just playing through the Pac-12. I mean, I think gives your team a ton of confidence going into postseason. Um, but, you know, also I think, um, you know, by then you should know your team inside and out. And I take a different approach on based on the team and, you know, where we're at as a team every single year, you know, and, and like I said, I mean, we'll do some some kind of fun team building and purposeful in terms of, you know, who we want to be. I mean, we don't like redefine ourselves, but we definitely 
you know, go into, I mean, the, the postseason defines you, right? Like, like the Pac-12 season, you know, determines like everything. But at the same time, what do people remember? They remember what you did in the postseason, right? Okay, what do we do? We're a Sweet 16 year team. That's that's what we were last year. Like that's, that's how you're remembered, right? Um, so I think, um, you know, with that, you know, there's a lot of pressure to to finish strong and finish well. And from the time that we start in spring and in summer with our new team. I mean, that is something that we would prepare for, you know, just that finishing strong and, and really kind of staying true to who we are. So I don't know. I'm kind of rambling, John. That's a, that's a big question. There's a lot of, you know, I'm an old coach. I have a lot of, <laughs> I guess, different things that we do. We definitely try to enjoy it and, uh, and yet, you know, take advantage of it. No, I'm sure your mind is bouncing back and forth from season to season, all the different uh, times that you've had in the postseason for sure. But uh, I just really appreciate your time today to give us some of your wisdom. I, Man, I really enjoyed talking to you, and I hope we get to do it again sometime. Well, thanks, John. Yeah, I appreciate you for having me on, and uh, yeah, stay in touch. That's Charlie Turner Thorne. Uh, like I said, going into it, it's one of those where I'm like, I've got to get her on the horn again. i got to do this again. Some of these interviews at the end you kind of get the feeling like all right they're not very interested in this are they they're not very into this um need to move on i mean they were nice and everything but uh, you know probably not again or you know maybe in a different setting uh, but not uh coach turner thorne she was definitely awesome and i really appreciate her time and just um, what she brought, the energy she brought to the conversation as well. I know this was a weird one um, with the Kobe stuff coming down. Uh, so if you'll forgive me um, for that opening, they will not all be that heavy. I, I think you know that by now after listening to all these. Um, but uh, thanks for uh, walking through me with that. I, I hope it helped you in some way. And um, I'd love to hear what you have to say about Kobe, about his legacy, uh, about his love for the women's game and his daughters. You can reach out to me at John Little Voice, and Little is spelled with D's, L-I-D-D-L-E, at John Little Voice on Twitter. Um, also, podcast at HerHoopStats.com. Podcast at HerHoopStats.com is the way we can stay connected by email. And, of course, we invite you to like the podcast, subscribe to it wherever you get it, uh, rate it on Apple Podcasts, and also give it a review. That really helps people find the podcast. We've had one of our best, most listened to months. I think uh, by the end of this week, we'll find that this is the most listened to month we've ever had on the Her Hoop Stats podcast. So um, we appreciate the growth. We appreciate you listening and uh, seeing people subscribe to it and download it each and every week means a lot to us. So hopefully we'll have a much better week this week than it uh, started out with. Um, but uh, let's just start by hugging those we love and sending a lot more love this week. So I send my love to you. Appreciate you listening. Aaron Barzilai is the executive producer of the Her Hoop Stats podcast. Susie Solis is our great voice. And Jared Deck, my longtime friend, JaredDeckMusic.com, he does our music. For all those people involved in this one, this is your host, John Little, reminding you at the Her Hoop Stats podcast, we are unlocking better insight about the women's game. Her Hoop Stats. 
Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence.